Welcome to this podcast from the Bay Church. We hope you're blessed by the message. To find out more, please visit our website at www.the-bay-church.org.uk. And these playing cards represent the generations. There's three packs of cards, so there's roughly 150 cards, roughly. They represent the generations that have come from if this this one here is Adam then it represents all of the generations from Adam and here we get to Abraham and then if we go up here this represents all of the generations I'm standing about where David would be now continuing through all the generations I get to where Jesus would be and his generation then I continue to walk around the corner and down and this is probably the timeline we're more familiar with because this is leading up to our recent generations and ending with our generation here so this represents most of us my parents as my grandparents there that's roughly how many generations have have been on this this earth and it's it's so tangible when you see it like that you know three packs of playing cards that's it and that's generations not people you know (laughs) if it was people well I wouldn't have enough playing cards but it's generations we can, we can hold them in our hand, you know. That's how, that's how small it is, really. It's, a, it's just a small number. So from Adam to Abraham, then about twice as, as, as many generations from Abraham to Jesus, then about three times as many generations from Jesus to me. I thought that was a good illustration as well of, of Jesus the human, Jesus the person, part of our lineage of generations of people, actual people on this planet. He was absolutely human and absolutely God. This Jesus who was and is and is to come, that's when and where he was in the timeline that we are at the other end of. Starting with Adam, ending with us. Um, It describes uh, this line, this lineage from here to there. In, in Luke, Luke chapter 3. Uh, and the passage I want to read comes just after chapter 3. Um, creatively titled chapter 4. <laughs> and it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing 
during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. That's a very human Jesus. You would be hungry, wouldn't you? <laughs> but also, a very human Jesus that, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Even when the devil was tempting him, we get a sense of the human Jesus. Because the deception that the devil tried was based absolutely on Jesus being human. If you are the son of God, if you are really the son of God, you can turn those stones into food. If you're really the son of God, you know, the, the very temptation, the very deception actually was based on an acknowledgement that Jesus was absolutely human. When that time had passed, Jesus returned to Galilee. This is verse 14. In the power of the Spirit, again, in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. In the power of the Spirit, the human Jesus anointed in the power of the Spirit. You know, the, the, the word anointed and anointing, we use a lot in church, don't we? I'm going to kind of uh, explore that a bit this morning. It comes from, um, comes from when they used to put uh, ointment on sheep, on sheep's heads, uh, oil, so that uh, the, the, the sheep's wool was, was so covered in oil that lice and, and you know, ticks and things couldn't really get a hold of the wool. And that's where it came from. So the, the word ointment and anointing you know, are from the same root. Just think about um, the shepherd and his flock you know, and where we are perhaps in that, in that metaphor. <laughs> But Jesus moved in his anointing. He went into the desert, moved in his anointing through the power of the Spirit. He came back, moved through his anointing. He, he returned to Galilee, moved by his anointing. He acted his anointing. He enacted his anointing. And he, he, he showed us that as a human Now, it says uh, news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Um, perhaps it's not helpful to see synagogues as, as enormous kind of churches. Um, certainly in, in those times, the synagogues were much more kind of low-key, and there were places where communities would gather uh, regularly, uh, particularly on the Sabbath, and uh, they would meet together, but, but more as, as families that would come together. And, and that, was, um, that was partly because of the, the history of the Jewish people. You know, the, the Jewish people who, who for generations and generations had been exiled, had been mistreated, had been imprisoned, had been enslaved, had been disbanded. 
Um, when that happens to you, generation after generation, you have, to, you have to do culture differently, don't you? So when they met together, it had a real significance. So much so that the, um, what they did on the Sabbath had real significance, and it was significant because of who they were and where they had come from and, and the, 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 the nature of their, their very culture. For example, the, the Torah that they recited, you know, the first five books of the Old Testament that the, the Jews uh, read and, and read to each other uh, were on scrolls, but because of the, uh, the mistreatment and, the, and the, the oppression of the Jews, they, they got used to having to um, distribute their, their text, their scrolls, and not keep them in the same place for fear of them being just destroyed and burned by oppressive uh, nations and, and powers. So they distributed them amongst families and tribes. And when they came together, they came together on, at certain times according to whose turn it was to read from the Torah and also read from the, the, the prophets. Why is this significant? Because when Jesus went to Nazareth, as it says in verse 16, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. It's that custom that it's talking about. It's the custom of, well, it's your family's turn to come to the synagogue on this day and, and read from a particular scripture. He stood up to read. So just imagine, I've made these props, so I'm going to use them. Just imagine, if you will, a bunch of scrolls distributed amongst the families of the Jewish people. Ooh, you'll have that one, Paul. Okay. And, and the... Jewish, the, the families coming together at the synagogue. And on this day, it was Jesus' family's... Yeah, don't... This, I'm not sure what it is. It's... What is it? Okay, you, you might want to close that, Alan. Yeah. That's not significant and all relevant to what I'm preaching about today. And actually, that's somebody's prophetic artwork you're all laughing at. So, just saying. Yeah, yeah. You should... <laughs> so it, when, when, when they came at that time on the Sabbath as was custom the expectation was that Jesus' family representatives from his family would be there to read from a certain scripture and the scripture that was given to Jesus' family was uh, the, from the, the words of the prophet Isaiah significant? yeah so Jesus comes into this familiar place with familiar people and he's handed a scroll by somebody who he knows who knows exactly what they're giving to Jesus. So there's no surprises there. And Jesus reads from the scroll. He didn't have to contend with a microphone. So Jesus, with his friend... <laughs> hmm. I thought this would be the, 
possibly the most significant, like, um, um, sort of uh, dramatic part of the whole preach, you know, in my head. This was the part where you were, oh, and, but uh, it's ruined. And anyway, I shouldn't have rolled up the scroll. So Jesus read from the scroll, and he read Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Even then, nobody would have flinched. Because that, that, that was the scripture that Jesus' family was expected to read. But then, and, and I didn't notice this until quite recently, Jesus did something really significant. What did he do? He sat down. Why is that significant? Because he sat in the, the seat that they called the seat of Moses in the synagogue. He sat down in a place where nobody was supposed to sit. Why was nobody supposed to sit in that seat? Because it was reserved for when the Messiah came. It was kept as special and sacred. So nobody sat in that seat. So Jesus reads this as was expected because he's one of the family. You know, it's, 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 it's their religion, it's their custom. Um, and then he sat in the seat where nobody sits. And at that point, at that point, everybody was amazed. Because at that point, I think the penny would have dropped about what Jesus was reading, what he was saying, and when he was saying, he has sent me, because the Lord has anointed me, what me actually meant. So his sitting down kind of sealed all of that to, to make absolute sense to everybody. So from then on, people were amazed, people were offended, people were annoyed, people, you know, all of those emotions came after that. And it was because Jesus sat down in the seat of Moses. Wow. There's something in this of what it is to be anointed. No, it's not just the words, is it? It's the actions of Jesus that are anointed. Jesus is saying, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. You know, there's a, there's a real belief there, but there's also action uh, and we, we, as we read through, through the rest of the Gospels, we, we read about the actions that were anointed. Where everybody got to see that the very human Jesus was also the very Son of God. And that throughout the whole Gospel, those two things often held in tension, creating confusion, creating um, anger, um, were, were very apparent, the very human Jesus and the very Son of God, Jesus. So he sat down. 
The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. That sounds so middle class and polite, doesn't it? Oh, lovely boy. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> so human that he was hungry. So human that the devil tried to get him to doubt that he was the son of God. Yet so absolutely son of God that the power of his words and actions could not be unrecognized, could not be unnoticed, could, not, could do nothing but cause amazement uh, and joy and offense and anger. <laughs> so here was Jesus operating in the word of God uh, and the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, saying, I, I do nothing but, but that that the Father tells me. And also doing nothing unless empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's that perfect triangle right there. When Jesus left this earth as a physical human, what did he leave us? The Holy Spirit. I will send you. I will send you. And he has. That very anointing that fell on him when he was baptized by his cousin, John, that descended like a dove, that very anointing that fell and lit people's heads like flames at Pentecost is here. Is here. And who has it? We do. That's a very timid response, people. But actually, that's, that's significant. You know, sometimes our response is timid to that because we don't feel it. Because we don't feel the Holy Spirit and the, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, does that mean that we don't have it? No. It's not dependent on our feelings. Thank goodness. Thank goodness with you lot this morning. <laughs> Just saying. It's not dependent on how we feel. And, and actually, not all of us feel stuff in the same way. You know, there, there, there can be pe people talking about how they feel just such a sense of God, such a, you know, overwhelming presence of God in this room right now. And other, other people in this room will be kind of thinking, well, what's wrong with me? I don't, I don't feel it. But you believe it. It's harder to believe what you don't feel, isn't it? And, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you, just because you don't feel it in the same way that somebody else does, or somebody else professes to, or somebody else manifests, does not mean that it's any less real and in you. And, and that is what belief is. You know, belief is really important. Belief is kind of the, the doorway to, to 
um, a process of enactment. So um, let, I, mean, I can give you loads of kind of everyday examples, but if you believe in something, believe that something can happen and will happen, you're much more likely to start to do something. If you don't believe it, there's almost no chance that you're going to do anything about that. So belief is really important because it gets us going. And our anointing, that we've all kind of sheepishly nodded and said, yeah, yeah, we, we, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Whether you, whether you feel it or not, you know, it's got to start with belief. It's got to start with belief. But it, it, can't, it can't just be about belief. We are anointed. We are anointed. Anointed to do what? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? What did Jesus tell us we were able to do in his name through the power of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Now, greater things than him. You know what? I'd settle for pretty much the same as Jesus. <laughs> Never mind greater. Now, did, when Jesus said greater, did he mean that more of you than just me will be doing it? Did he mean numbers of people? Or did he mean kind of like an even greater level of power? Um, I don't know. But I'm not sure that matters really. You know, if I, if I can manifest and, and uh, enact a fraction of what Jesus did, like, wow, you know? But so, so why... Why then do we sometimes feel, or maybe always feel, that we're, we're nowhere near that? And yet we believe we have the anointing? Because it's not just about belief. We are anointed to do as Jesus showed us, as Jesus did. But we sometimes feel that we've, we haven't even got started. It says in Micah, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. There's some actions that the anointed are required to do. He has shown you what is good. And what does the Lord require, require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Psalm 146. Verse 6. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. What are we required to do? And sometimes that feels like that requirement is everything that our country isn't. It's everything that the Western world isn't. Upholding the cause of the oppressed, giving food to the hungry. We, sometimes it feels almost illegal to uphold this, doesn't it? And sometimes it is, actually. To watch over the foreigner, 
I feel in the Western world there's been a, a, a movement based on, um, based on stinginess, based on greed, based on selfishness, very much against watching over the foreigner, very much against welcoming people who need help into our country. The Lord sets prisoners free. How do you set prisoners free? Without going against the, the laws of the land. It's the laws of the land that have, have put people in captivity, isn't it? Think about, you know, we, we often look at other countries and, and pray for people who are, who are prisoners, you know, um, for, for having a faith or prisoners for, for in prison for something that it, we don't see as a crime. You know, I'm sure that happens in our country as well. So how do we set prisoners free when we go against the law of the land and we're required to respect and honor our leaders? There's a tension there, isn't there? We're anointed to do it, though. One of the, um, one of the deep manifestations of anointing, of our anointing, is truth. You know? When we operate in truth, when we speak out in truth, when we love in truth, that is, that is the, the deep sense of what our anointing is. And truth comes against all of those things, you know, um, being held in captivity. Well, truth comes against that. Deception, truth comes against that. How did Jesus combat the, the devil when the devil was tempting him? With truth. We have so many examples in the scriptures of when deception, um, oppression, selfishness, empire building, greed have been combated with truth. It's how the prophets were able to approach kings and, and basically put them right, you know, and still honor them, still hold them in respect, but speaking the truth into that situation. Read through of the, the acts of the prophets and you'll see that it was truth that manifests from them in their anointing. So I think this is what our anointing looks like. But, but that's, you know, when you come across lies, we are anointed to speak the truth. And that's what it feels like doesn't feel very pretty or glamorous, but, you know, the truth is how we combat deception. I want to encourage you that um, your anointing starts with a belief that you are anointed. But it has to, it has to manifest into actions before you experience growth. Belief, action, growth is a really good kind of model for, for uh, enacting your, your anointing. But you've got to believe it first. Maybe uh, a response this morning might be just the start of your, your enacting of your anointing to make a difference in our community, you know to lead towards positive and healthy growth.
Hmm. You know, as we look through all the generations, I just wonder how many of these generations were in similarly difficult times. How many of these 150 or so generations experienced war and oppression and probably most of them. I wonder where the, the biggest period of time where there was absolute peace reigning. I don't know. But I do know that all of these generations would have had struggles and would have come against kind of corruption uh, and you know just how we're trying to struggle in life um, with the powers that be and between the powers that be. That peace is a fragile thing. But we are anointed, we are anointed to be in that place through every generation. Amen.